Welcome everyone to a new episode of FF Plus, your spoiler-free outlet for movie reviews, entertainment recommendations, and discussion. I'm one of your hosts, Aaron, and with me as per the norm is my man, Coles. Howdy, everybody. Oh, is that a is that a precursor or foreshadowing for the episode we're doing? Yeah, there's a film we're we're doing that has like a down home southern kind of twang to it, so I had to paste reference to it. It does. I like it. I got the reference. They don't get the reference yet because we haven't told them what we're covering, but they will <laughs> once they see it later on. Mm-hmm. The two films that we are going to talk about tonight are vastly different. I was actually putting together the graphic for this week's episode for social media and it cracked me up because we have <laughs> they're both green and one of them is this alligator boy and he's like joyously like singing and in a dance pose and the other one is this hazy dark green forest with a shadowy character with an axe in a horror movie and it's just <laughs> like it, you almost get the idea that this axe character is like going after this poor alligator child which would be another just terrible collaboration of a movie between these two anywho a couple different films to talk about the first one is called arlo the alligator boy it stars the voice talents of michael j woodard as arlo mary lambert michael balzeri also known as flea from the red hot chili peppers Annie Potts, Tony Hale, Brett Gelman, Jonathan Van Ness, Haley Shu, Jennifer Coolidge, and Vincent Rodriguez III. It is a film and ultimately a series created by Ryan Crego. What is it about? Upon learning that he is from New York City, a wide-eyed boy who is half-human and half-alligator decides to leave his sheltered life in the swamp in search for his long-lost father. It is a 2D animated movie musical, and it will launch Arlo's journey as he meets a group of misfits who quickly become his new family. Once his adventure lands him in New York City, this eventual series called I Love Arlo, or I Heart Arlo, will kick off as he and his newfound crew set up shop in an abandoned seaside neighborhood and help bring it back to life. So this is definitely a film that is kicking off a new kid's animated series i did take note it is rated tv like y7 or something for like seven year olds and below which i found funny based on my reaction to it actually but we'll get started with you because i don't know what you think and i'm very curious so what did you like about this one the thing that has helped me when it comes to critiquing animated films that are targeted towards children is removing my adult lens out of it now of course we get a lot of films like you know soul inside out like many things that pixar disney are doing there's themes that can pertain to children and to adults um but then most of the time for animated films you're just kind of just got to look at yourself like pretend that you're that that kid who is seven or six or five years old and just kind of get a beating of what a film is doing and for all of the alligator boy it was great it was good for what it did as far as teaching a lot of profound messages for young kids to grow up with i mean in this film we deal with arlo who's like half boy half alligator and in the beginning of the film we see that he is learning the lesson of how that the world is bigger than where you're from like so many times we see a lot of people who only think that the world is as big as their hometown or where they live at and we see arlo on his journey to meeting his father that he hasn't met before or that abandoned him 
he comes to see that he wants things bigger for his life. He wants to, he lives in the swamp and he understands he's comfortable there, but he understands that the world is bigger than the swamp and that there's more things to want and to desire and go for in life than just being settled for one place. So I love that lesson. And then we get into the supporting characters and the one I wanted to take attention of was, um, I think her name was Bertie, played by Amy Lambert, who, if people don't know, especially Pacific Northwest, she was on Malcolm Moore's Same Love, which is a pretty big song years ago. And she did a great job in this film. And I also like how the animators portrayed her as being this big woman, you know, because we talk about body positivity. We talk about self-image. We talk about these positive portrayals for young girls to see in films. And most of the time, what we're seeing are just women who are just only small or skinny or, you know, almost like voluptuous in a sense. And it, it should be like that. There's nothing wrong with being small or skinny, anything like that, because all body positivity is good positivity. But it's also great to see portrayals that you don't see a lot often. And the character of Birdie, she's really big. You know, she's very tall. And but you get to see the inside of her heart. You get to see the personality shine through her character and the voice act. And also the other supporting characters who are just like animals themselves. This film just really bigs itself on trying to be positive trying to show kids that it's okay to be different it's okay to be who you are like you don't have to change yourself for anybody you got to be comfortable within yourself and walk in those shoes and be happy and seeing the positivity the beauty and everything and also we see later on the film that there's a lesson to be learned about people who run away from their past people who forget where they come from you know people who are embarrassed almost of who they are and try to hide themselves from other people so they can please other people. But that's not the way to live your life because if you're living your life for other people, then you are essentially just a slave to other people's validation, their opinions of themselves. So this film touches on a lot of things deep, but it's in a kid-friendly cotton candy package. And the other thing I love was the music as well. Now, this isn't music that I'll be putting on my Spotify or anything or my playlist, but they fit the themes of the, f the film well. Like, each of the lyrics, they match up with the images that you see on the screen, and they really do tell this all-encompassing story following Arlo's journey to finding out who his father is and finding out who he is. Yeah, this is a good film. I was very surprised by it. I'm so excited to hear you say that. I co-sign everything you just said, and I'm actually going to do something. I don't think I've ever done this on the podcast before, and I don't know if there's some sort of like etiquette around this or not. Uh-oh. But... <laughs> <laughs> Netflix, if you're listening, uh, just just skip forward about 30 seconds. No. Um, so <laughs> in the press notes for this film, we got a note from Ryan Crago, the creator of Arlo. And, you know, this will happen occasionally. There's no spoilers in this. It's just really just him kind of pouring out his heart and telling us what led to the creation of this character. And I just want to read it because I thought that he sums it up in a way that really captures exactly the way that I reacted to it. And it makes me feel like he did a phenomenal job because what he was intending for us to experience is exactly what I experienced. So he, he wrote this letter and he says this, it's not very long. A lot of things have changed since I first sketched Arlo more than a decade ago. So long project. For one thing, his name was Alistair, which was impossible to spell. He wore a top hat. Why? And he had thick tree, little tree trunk legs. Kind of cute, I guess. But one thing about him remained unchained and is the exact thing that drove him to the screen, his everlasting optimism. I set out to create the most joyful, positive character that I could dream up. 
I was curious to see what would happen when a character so positive and pure of heart went out into a world that was gritty, calloused, and real. Would he bend? Would he break? Or would he be able to change the world around him? Oftentimes in animation, we are striving to create a hyper-reality, super-saturated fantasy lands, glossy, glittery, idealistic dreams. In this story, that magic exists, but it also exists inside of Arlo, in his pure, magical, musical heart. It pours out of him when he sings, and that's when we, the audience, are treated to the magical worldview that only he possesses. Through his songs, we also get our strongest themes. Songs about wanting to be more, to fulfilling your destiny, to accepting yourself, to understanding pain and loss, and eventually to realize that we are in this thing together and no one does it alone. At its core, Arlo the Alligator Borg is a story about finding beauty in our differences and strength in our friendships. Nowhere is this more evident than in the lyrics of our final number. We all need someone to hold us up, to help us on. We make each other better. Though the world's not always right, tough times they can make us strong. We all belong. We're beautiful together. I hope this movie brings you and your family joy. Okay, so I was shocked. I was blown away. I originally put this on our radar when I was looking at a list at the beginning of the year of upcoming animated movies for 2021 because I love animated movies and so I just want to watch them all. Had no idea what it was about, had no idea it was aimed at this level, this age of children. So when we got it, Kales, I'll be honest, I saw the animation of Arlo, the alligator boy, and I was like, uh-oh, did I make a mistake here? Like, <laughs> am I going to be watching some Caillou kind of stuff right here and going to be really annoyed? And I was worried. I didn't know it was a musical going in, though. And so for me, people who know me will understand, like, that is a huge bonus. And so... While we got all those themes that you talked about and that Ryan clearly was trying to convey and you picked up on and I picked up on and they all come through the music, it's it works such it, amazing how, how well it comes out of this very simplistic story that we're watching with a completely gentle lens of it being this fun animated film with half humans and half animals characters you know integrating with real humans and for me the music was a huge 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 hit i actually might put this on my spotify it reminded me of how i felt when i saw my little pony the movie my daughter was a big fan and we went to the theater for a screening i remember it vividly because a there was somebody in a pony blow up outfit outside <laughs> of the screening and it was really creepy B, because they took our phones. It was one of the first movies they ever took my phone at a press screening. And I was like, y'all going to let me see Star Wars The Last Jedi with my phone, but you won't let me see My Little Pony? Is something? What is going on here? Uh, but I was going into it, and I was really just kind of not in the best spot. I was intentionally making fun of it, right? And going into it with the expectation that I was just going to be annoyed and bored, and I was just going to have fun messing with my daughter. And I ended up absolutely loving it. I bought it. I have listened to the soundtrack many times, and it's much for the same reason. The songs are fantastic. The music is great. The lyrics are great because they have something to say, and it drives me through even when the plot at times, like in this movie, it kind of goes into its lulls or, you know, it has its moments where you can really feel like this is aimed at kids, and kids are going to be fine with this. But as an adult, I was like, yeah, it's time for me to go change the laundry at this point in the show or whatever. Uh, and so for me, like, I, I just thought it was amazing. I thought it was surprisingly sweet and it, all of those different themes come out in a way that 
I just was shocked at, you know, you've seen movies like Pixar try to implement stuff that doesn't do specific meshing of these themes as well. Maybe not Pixar, but other big animated studios that haven't done it this well. So, yeah, I, I was highly, highly impressed. And I think that the series is going to be awesome. I actually emailed them and asked them. It's TBD. They don't know yet when it's coming out. Hopefully the response to this film will be really, really positive and it will urge them to get that series out. I actually got a lot of a, a Steven Universe feel to this. Um, maybe just a little bit of a, a lower age group, but similar with the way that the friendships work and the parental relationships and, you know, breaking into song to explain things and just a little bit of kind of funniness. So yeah, I, I'm a big fan. If there's anything that I disliked, I caveat it by saying I don't know that I dislike anything if I'm eight years old and watching this, to be honest. I think that some of the character designs are a little silly looking. They're not something I want to watch all the time and I love to see. It's not like it's a gorgeous character design that you just think is stunning to look at over and over, right? It, it, this is a common trend in children's animation, though. Steven Universe does it, where you get kind of funky-looking characters. Birdie is a great example. Arlo is a very... For an alligator boy, <laughs> he's a very normal-looking character. Like, the way he's drawn, there's no weird lines. Birdie is kind of obtuse, and not just in the fact that she's a bigger girl, but, like, some of her facial structure is not completely rounded and, and such. And you have a couple other weird characters like that that I just am like, okay, some of these fit, and some of these are, like, kind of out there. That was a little bit weird for me. Uh, and then the animation, I think, at times it can be really vivid and striking. There's some really great shadow moments where they are put into use, and then at other times it can just kind of look very plain and very dull. It doesn't happen a lot, but there are a few scenes where I'm like, that doesn't look like it's in the same movie as some of the stuff that we see like later on when we get to New York. And the villains, there's a villain in this particular story that is just, it, it is, it's, they're blah, they're dumb. They're nothing to speak of. They're nothing to remember. They're probably fine for kids and they're not overly scary, but they're, that also just kind of makes them like just passable for me. But minor, minor nitpicks on my side. Anything you didn't like? I mean, hey, you know, like I said before, you know, I'm a 29-year-old man, you know, and there's some things that, you know, kids don't really understand about life and stuff. And that applies to certain films. So when you see certain things in films, you can nitpick them if you want to just to be technical. But what what does that accomplish at the end of the day? I mean, the only thing that really just had me question was at the beginning of the film, like, who leaves a baby like even if it's a half alligator half human being who leaves a baby <laughs> in a sewer just uh just drop it right in the sewer just leave it there i was like oh my goodness <laughs> master Terrible. splinter no um <laughs> it does I have like a moses kind of feel to the way that it starts off yeah and there could be a crossover between this world and teenage mutant and turtles they want to achieve that and want to go for it but um, yeah, but sometimes the, some of the songs, you know, they come in at these, these kind of melodramatic times when something emotional has happened and they kind of just feel a little bit like, uh, on the nose a little bit and just a, kind of a little bit too sweet. But, um, for the most part, I can't find anything that is a big red flag for me. I mean, kids, kids are going to fall in love with this film, you know, especially with the messages, the way it looks, even though the animation 
is not all that spectacular is good enough for me especially the um water effects when they show the characters in the water that looks amazing but yeah this is mostly a pretty good film so it's not coming to theaters so that limits us to couch or no <laughs> thanks you going with definitely Couch with um some of the kids around sitting right there with you. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm definitely agreeing. I'm feeling it big time. I I don't think many 42 year old adults like myself who are say single and just are gonna sit down and watch this and love it by themselves. <laughs> I don't. But again, kids watch it with them, and I think it's fine. I think kids that are even into their you know teenage years can enjoy this and and not be totally bored by it. Uh, so I, but yeah, if you're a family, this is something that you need to have on your radar. So Netflix has got something really great here, I think, brewing. Uh, and I, and I'm just hoping so much that it succeeds. The movie will be streaming on Netflix on April 16th. And then as I mentioned, series release date is TBD. Well, you probably heard us many times before, but hey, we recently made a partnership with Letterboxd, an app that me and Aaron both enjoy very much. It's, fits us because we're film lovers and if you're a film lover or you know any friends who are film lovers and you want to have the ability to log your films and see your end of the year stats and see what other friends are watching then you will definitely want to give this app a try we currently have a offer going on where you can get 20 percent off a pro or a patron subscription if you type in the code feeling film and that's f-e-e-l-i-n film and this applies also as well if you already have subscription and you want to renew or upgrade. Awesome. Well, our second film for tonight is called In the Earth. And this, as I mentioned, is much different in tone. This is not about animated alligator children, and it's not a musical. <laughs> Music is a key element of it in a way, but it's not mm -hmm. a musical. The film stars Joel Fry, Elora Torchia, Haley Squires, Reese Shears-Smith, John Hollingworth, and Mark Monero. It's directed and written by Ben Wheatley during the pandemic. What's it about? As the world searches for a cure to a disastrous virus, a scientist and park scout venture deep in the forest for a routine equipment run. Through the night, their journey becomes a terrifying voyage through the heart of darkness, the forest coming to life around them. I'm going to start with what I like uh, on this one, and then we'll roll into yours. So the first half of this movie, I really enjoyed. It has a very good setup to it, I think. The way that they implement the pandemic, I appreciate, because it is not a matter of just showing us things that we experienced in real life that we just went through for the last year and a half. And we don't need to just revisit those exact same things. Instead, it kind of imagines it uses the pandemic more metaphorically for what these characters are going to go through and experience, even though there is quote a pandemic in real life that sort of drives them out into the forest to go find this research station and explains why there might be people living out in the woods that they're going to run into. It is a moody film. It's got a really great atmosphere to it, especially in this first half. I think there are points in it where it is really visually alluring and has some phenomenal cinematography. Uh, the aforementioned shadow picture I was talking about, the guy with the axe and the fog and the forest is just looks really great. 
So I think it's, it's a fantastically shot film. There is a strong and calm yet terrifying performance from Reese Shearsmith. He is a mysterious hermit. And I think that his performance stood out for me in a huge way. And I really would have liked even more from him because I think that he just stole every scene that he was in and he had the kind of charisma to just take over the attention uh, for the, from the viewer. I think the other performances are pretty solid all around though. I didn't have any real issues with them. I just thought that he just completely outshined everybody. Um, it, I, I love the first half because it's a slow build. It's a got a very suspenseful tone to it, and it almost like has some slasher thriller vibes at it at times. This movie, if you want some comparisons to what you're going to get, ultimately think about films that I would say probably directly inspired it. Things like Mandy, <laughs> parts of this movie, Mandy, the Nicolas Cage kind of psychedelic movie. There's some Annihilation in here, uh, the sci-fi film by Alex Garland. And, you know, there's maybe, I think there's a movie called The Ritual. It kind of feels a little like that. There's some Midsummer vibe stuff going on in this one as well. That kind of horror type of feel to it. Um, but yeah, so that's what I liked. What about you? What did you like about this one? This film keeps you guessing. And this will also play into the dislikes, but as for a positive, I couldn't really gather what was going to happen next. And sometimes you do need that in a film, that sense of unpredictability, that sense of not being comfortable with what's coming around the corner. There, like you said, there's a lot of dread. There's a good amount of suspense in this film and not really much terror, but this film is hinging on unspeakable terror just happening at any moment. And that's what I liked. Um, I also like the sound design. I, I love the use of distortion, the use of kind of like sometimes there will be moments of just silence where you're only hearing like the grass moving between under someone's shoe or you're hearing birds chirp or you're hearing just bugs crawling in the ground. I, I just love that attention to detail when it came to using the ambient sounds of nature and then also implementing the score. And I also love where this film starts off with. It starts off with a virus, of course, and our main character that we're following, he's coming back straight from quarantine, you know, and of course that is going to tie in right to what's going on right now, but it didn't feel too self-referential. It did. It wasn't trying to make itself be like, oh, like this is exactly what the COVID-19 pandemic is. No, this is a film that is taking a virus and using it and using it as a building stone for their story. So I appreciated that. And the performances are mighty good. In the, especially in the case of Zach, he is the guy that gets my golden star. Everybody else, though, was good or solid, at least. There was no weak spots when it came to the acting. That is mostly what I have to say, because I have a bunch of dislikes to get into. Okay, that's fair. I would echo what you said about the music. I should have brought that up. I, do, I too, thought the sound design was particularly fantastic, and it really plays into story directly at times and i think it was done well there's also a very what i can describe as a soft synth score by clint manzel who is known for this type of score and it's wonderful it's not frequent but when it's there his music 
fits the bill perfectly. And, and I think it was really, really good. All right, man, hit us with the things you didn't like. So going back to what I was saying about the uncertainty, the uncertainty finds its way into the narrative as well, because I, I couldn't really get a grasp on what this story was trying to do or what it wanted to accomplish. Like there are some ambiguous concepts in this film and I have no problem with being ambiguous. Ambiguity is what helps The Shining be as great as film as it is now after all these years. But in a film like this, it's not ambiguous or entertaining or just fascinating enough for me to want to return to unravel the mystery. Like, I could honestly care less where this film goes from because we're introduced to this virus in the beginning. And then all of a sudden we just forget about the virus and just go straight into just like a horror slasher film like you described. And for some people, that's going to work. I mean, the ability to fluid genres is a skill in itself. I just don't like the way it was implemented in this because there were so many empty patches of, of, of time we get in this film. Like, especially towards the middle of the film, I feel like the film just starts to drag a lot. And you're kind of just wondering, like, when is it going to pick up again? When are we going to get answers to this mystery? When are we going to get clarity on what's going on with this person? Like, it feels like very incomplete it's a problem when your villain is just able to outshine your protagonist in a film. Your protagonist is supposed to be as compelling as the villain, and they don't really get enough shine. I don't know whether that's because of the direction. I don't know whether it's because of the, is the writing. Who knows? And at the end, I was just kept reminding myself that there's a better version of this film, and it's Annihilation by Alex Garland. I just kept thinking, I need to go and pop in Annihilation so I can feel something because I could feel nothing from this film. Like, is this film really about, you know, um, how evil people can be when things are turned chaotic? Is it about, like, some, is it about nature trying to communicate with us and tell us how we're hurting the environment? What's the basis? What's the, like, the old Wendy's commercials, where's the meat? <laughs> like, you, you have a bone for me right here, but where is the meat on this? And, for other people, this could be something that's probably right up their alley and they were able to get something out of this. But for me, after the first half, I just felt no heartbeat for this and I was kind of ready for it to end. Well, I am with you. I mean, I absolutely adore Annihilation. It's a film that grew on me over time and I think it's phenomenal. And this is the mashup of it in Midsummer, like I said, that I didn't want. And I agree, there are people that will enjoy this more than both of us did. The second half just kills it for me. Uh, like you mentioned, it just, it really stays pretty logical. <laughs> if, if I could say that. And like I said, it's got that slasher suspenseful tone and the storyline is not crazy. It feels grounded and more realistic. And then we go off into the trippy psychedelic kind of story where, like you said, who the heck knows what is actually happening? I was going to interrupt you when you were going on your questions of, is it this, is it this, is it this? And just say, yes, I guess. Like, it's all of those things. Is I think that's what he's trying to get at. But it just doesn't have a resolution that kind of satisfyingly pulls everything together and makes you feel like you went through those weird moments and experiences for a reason. I just lost interest as well. I wanted it to be over. I didn't like it the way that it kind of drug out literally drug out slowly and then drug out like when they were on these drug like trips in the, on the screen, it felt like a music video sequences at time and, and it just is crazy. And that stuff is just not for me. 
There's also some gross body horror that I want to make sure we mention here throughout the film. I actually texted you before you watched it. I was like, I hope you're good with this because, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but there are several scenes involving a foot. There is a scene with an eyeball and all of this. It made me want to vomit. I had to hide my eyes a couple times. Luckily, they're not lengthy most of the time. Most of the scenes are pretty quick and brief, but there's enough there that it's probably well done, honestly. I mean, if I'm evaluating the way that this gross foot looked, <laughs> I mean, it <laughs> looked real, like, to me. Very and so good. that, I I guess some people might say that's a positive. To me, I'm not necessarily saying it's a negative, but I'm saying it's something I didn't like and something that was a turnoff. So that could be something that, you know, turned you on, maybe a positive for you. <laughs> I hope not turning people on, like, this is not some Army Hammer stuff, but, like, <laughs> hopefully it, like, you know... If you enjoy that kind of horror and gross imagery, then you might get a better time out of this than I did. But yeah, it's not something I'll ever want to watch again. I was happy to see it ended. And I'm just not a Ben Kingsley fan, I don't think. Honestly, I didn't care for his adaptation of Rebecca. I thought that Free Fire was fine. I thought that High Rise was fine. I thought that this was not quite fine. Like... (laughs) I just, I, he's not a director for me. I'm really, really glad that he's no longer doing the Tomb Raider sequel because he was originally going to be doing that film and it got mm. passed on from him and that would have worried me. I just don't Good see, decision. yeah, I don't see his style and his kind of way of filmmaking working for that. So yeah, there you have it. Well, are you feeling it? Cause this will be in the theaters. Is it worth a theater viewing? Is it worth people checking out at home or do you just say pass? Definitely stay at home theater wise and also on the couch. I couldn't even recommend this for the couch. Like it's just one of those one hitters and then you're done forever. (laughs) Yeah, I'm going to say yes to the couch because people are listening to us. There's no way I would recommend this to everyone, to the the average moviegoer. But I think that people that if, if you really really loved Mandy and you really, really loved Midsommar. I think the combination of imagery you get that kind of relates to those films, you might actually like this, but I don't know. I mean, I didn't necessarily hate those films. I don't think you hated those films either. And we didn't really care for the way that this one comes together. So couch at best, (laughs) but I would have said no thanks if I could go back in time and not watch this, it doesn't do anything <laughs> for me. So I guess that's where we land. This will be available in theaters April 16th. And at that point, you can make your own decision about whether you want to see it or you can wait for the video on demand date, which we do not know yet. That's all for us this week on FF Plus. Next week, we should have a packed show for you with some heavy hitters that we're really excited about leading up to the Oscars. Speaking of the Oscars, Every year we do a competition in our Feelin' Film Facebook discussion group. So we will post a link there to a Google Doc where you can make your picks and we will award prizes both to the overall winner, be giving out a 4K, up to 4K quality Blu-ray disc of an Oscar-nominated film to our top point scorer. And then we will also be giving out a Fandango gift card to our lowest point scorer (laughs) because... You know what? If you really are that bad at picking Oscar movies, you deserve something because you need to go see more movies. So, yeah, so we make it fun for you. We're doing a cool format this year where it's not just one point for every category. 
we are doing a weighted point system so that the best picture winner is worth a little more and then the actors and screenplays and the director are worth kind of a middle points and then there's just one point for the rest so anyway come to the feel and film facebook discussion group check out the announcements section of the group and you will find there very soon the link to go participate you can also hit us up on twitter we'd love to know what you think of the show or what you think about these films if and when you check them out you can do that at feeling film we will be back soon until then keep feeling film hey everyone thanks again for listening if you enjoyed the show we'd love to hear from you you can leave us a review on itunes or wherever you're listening These help increase visibility for the show and grow our community of listeners like you. We also invite you to connect with us further by joining our ever-growing Facebook discussion group. A link to that is in the show notes, or you can just search on Facebook and find us that way. If you'd like to continue the conversation with me, you can follow the show on Twitter, at FeelinFilm, or connect with me in the Facebook group. I'm very active in both places, and I'd love to chat. And if you want to connect with me, you can find me at Shoeless Patch on both Facebook and Twitter. But be sure to tag me in any comments so that I'll be notified and not miss you. Once again, thank you for listening. We'll be back soon. Until then, stay positive. And keep feeling film.